There's a scholar and author that I bet some of you have heard about and probably some of you have actually read named Karen Armstrong. And she is British and she writes about the history and reality of Christianity and other religions. Um, she has a fantastic book about Jerusalem that many of us are starting to read, those of us who are going to be traveling there on our Holy Land pilgrimage later this year. But it didn't start out so well for Karen Armstrong when she began her career as a young girl. She was seeking a life of holiness and she ended up joining a convent. She became a nun at the age of 17. She stayed with it for seven years, but as she describes what her experience was like, it was more about obedience than it was about holiness. And she got into it seeking holiness. You've heard the phrase, uh, a very popular phrase, to be spiritual but not religious. In her case, she discovered what it was like to be religious but not spiritual. It was not what she was seeking, and she left the order. But interestingly, as she reflects back on what her uh, life, early life was like, she was now a young adult, she was still the same person. She was still seeking a life of rigorous formation, but now as an atheist, as a secular person. And when she left her life as a nun, she continued to study and to write, but what she decided to do was to try her hand at writing about Christianity with the goal of debunking it. And she, she wrote some books and some articles and even worked on a TV series basically going in and dissecting, pulling apart, unpacking, and actually dispelling some of the things that to many are confusing and um, easily misunderstood. And to her great surprise, she began to receive messages from her readers who thanked her and said, in fact, I understand my faith so much better now, and thanks to you, I can read the Bible again. And my faith has become intact the way it used to be before. She didn't intend this or expect this. The spirit moves in mysterious ways. And then even Karen herself, as she was doing this work, found that she was able to rebuild the connections in a better way than she ever had before. She understood what the texts were really about. And she is a person whose faith has been restored. It's interesting, too, how when she speaks about this time in her life, she realized the, the beauty and the gift of language, but also the challenge, where many of the most important words of our faith had become tired, they'd become divisive, they'd become words that people had a strong negative reaction to, and she learned how to deep, go deeper into those words and actually reclaim them so they could be useful once again. Today, it's Pentecost, and we look into the mysterious way that the Spirit works, and also the power that language has. And today, of course, it's Pentecost. It's the day we focus on the Spirit. Next week is in the church we recognize as Trinity Sunday. It's also the Sunday that the rector usually assigns an associate to do the preaching. <laughs> It's very hard to describe and define the Trinity, but I'll give you a little preview and then Sarah will explain everything else next week. Uh, with the Trinity, uh, one, one understanding that is very helpful to me comes from Richard Rohr who wrote a book on the Trinity called The Divine Dance. And he said, 
we have in the Trinity the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God for us. God the Son is God alongside us. God the Holy Spirit is God within us. Today is the day when we celebrate God the Holy Spirit, God within us, known also in the imagery of a flame, of breath, of wind. The ancient understanding of God the Holy Spirit was feminine, that the Holy Spirit has a gender of being female. The Spirit, we also know, moved in the beginning of creation. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus speaks of the coming of the Spirit, he uses a special word used only in that Gospel, which is the paraclete, which is a Greek word, hard to translate into English, but it means essentially advocate or comforter. And in the Gospel today, we get one of many examples of where the Spirit is shared with the people, and in an unbelievable way, unforgettable way, where Jesus, the risen Jesus, is standing among the people, and what does he do? He breathes on them. Something that uh, I think we hear with different ears now on this side of the pandemic, but he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. And in the great story, of course, of Pentecost, the, the story we hear from Acts, the Spirit arrives with this rushing wind, the sound that fills the place. And then the people are surprised to have little flames that sit on the tops of the foreheads of all the people. If you've seen a bishop in the silly pointed hat that a bishop wears, called a mitre, you may realize that comes from this tradition of the flame resting on the head of the Holy Spirit being given to the people. And then we have really one of the most wonderful and actually useful miracles that you could imagine. The gift of Pentecost is that language then becomes shared. It's the opposite of the Tower of Babel, which is something that I think we live every day in this environment at this day and age, where language is dividing us and we think we speak the same language, but we don't. Um, at Pentecost, the people spoke in the language they thought was their own, and people from around the world who didn't speak that language heard as if it was their own. The most beautiful miracle, and one that I pray that we might have now with the gift of the Spirit. It is also thought of today as being the birthday of the church. Not the birthday of a church, but the church. And we celebrate that, um, remembering that this church is shared across the world and across generations. That the church that began then is part of this church that is today. Not this church, but all churches. But we should remember that the church was never meant to be an institution. An institution is nothing without relationship. And rather than thinking of Pentecost as the birthday of an institution, it's the birthday of a new relationship of the spirit within us on earth, changing us. So Karen Armstrong, uh, when she was doing her early work, got intrigued to go beyond Christianity and to learn about other faiths and to go deep with those too, but she knew almost nothing. And she describes a story where she went to a Jewish scholar 
to learn more about a Jewish perspective on religion and faith. And he told the story, a famous story actually, of Rabbi Hillel, who was a contemporary of Jesus. And Hillel, the rabbi, was approached by some pagans who went to him and they said, we want to make an agreement with you. We will convert to Judaism if you will stand on one leg and recite the entire Torah. So what do you think Rabbi Hillel did? Well, he got onto one leg, and then he said the following. Do not do unto others what you would not have done unto you. That is the Torah. The rest is commentary. <laughs> and then he said, go and learn it. Well, our task is not to be merely religious, but spiritual to let God the Holy Spirit enkindle our hearts with the fire of God's love, to use language like the disciples at Pentecost to convey the good news, and to build up the work of compassion that is God's most important word to us. And the rest is commentary. Amen.